Hi, and welcome back to the Table Talk. I'm Dr. Allison Matthews with the Faith Coordinating Center at Wake Forest University. I'm here with my guests, who I will allow to introduce yourselves. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, my name is Dr. Kia Hood Scott, and I am the site pastor of the Union Baptist Church in Jamestown High Point, and I also serve on staff at the Union Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, under Bishop Sir Walter Mack, Jr. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, my name is Dr. Tracy Ball, and I am a collaborative physician with Old North State Medical Society, as well as the owner of On Call Mobile Medical and Wellness. All right, On Call. On Call. <laughs> Sorry. So you have to explain to me, what is a psych pastor? A site pastor. So our main church in Winston-Salem planted a church in High Point, North Carolina. So we have another location, like a satellite location in High Point, North Carolina, and that's where I serve. So I serve two congregations, same mission and purpose, but two congregations. So I serve here also um, in Winston-Salem. I'm on staff there. And then in High Point, I serve as the main pastor or the site pastor of our wow. campus in, in High Point. Okay, I thought yes. you were saying site. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start off. What does faith against stigma mean to you? Well, you know, when I think of the word faith, it I correlate that with um, something I need when I'm in the dark, right? Or when when there's fear, I, I, I need my faith to sort of guide me. So I see faith as something forward. But then when I think about stigma, I think about um, sort of this this idea of something that's negative or something that is against. So then when I put the two together, I think about how whatever is moving me forward can push the negative out. Mm. And so when I think about faith and stigma, it's about what I believe and what I know that can dismantle the stigma. And I think that's what our faith does. It allows us to push against the negative. It reminds us that it's not just an inward inside the church. It's not just a movement inside the church, but faith has to be, has to be something that we do outside. Yeah. So it's what we move from the inside out mm. to make sure that we're doing what our faith calls us to do. And that is to do justice, yeah. to love mercy and so I think I for me that's what faith against stigma means it's what I believe and what I know that God has called us to do to work against what the world has put this sort of a uh, negative spin on so we have to push against that yes thank you so much yeah. I would say that mine is very similar um, the Bible says that faith uh, uh, that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed then it could uproot a mountain and when I think of stigma it's a mountain mm -hmm. and it's a deeply rooted mountain so what better adversary to stigma than faith something so powerful that even at that small minute size it can uproot a mountain so that's what i think of when i think against uh, about faith against stigma mm -hmm. you know i something you said makes me have a question i i, I hear this a lot this kind of faith against the world or like talking about the world as something that we should be opposing. How do you 
how do you see or how can we talk about that in the context of HIV? I think I would say faith is not against the world, but we have to have faith in the world that we're in, right? I think faith is against the stigma. And in, in the context of HIV and AIDS, I, I truly believe that our faith, and we have to deal with the church in itself and how somewhat the church has put stigma on HIV and AIDS, right? You don't, you know, this thing of you could catch it if you hug someone, you could catch it if you touch someone. Um, but what I truly believe that if we are to be like Jesus, we we have to see that faith is about touching and loving people in spite of right and and it's and we have to dismantle that idea one of the things that i even spoke about with a couple of friends of mine is that you know faith is about acknowledging that christ has room for everybody at the table even at the last supper even though jesus knew that judas was going to betray him even everybody at the table had issues even at the table everybody at, at the table has some some things going on, but everybody was invited to the table. And I believe that faith for us is knowing that regardless of what's happening, everybody has room at the table. There's room for everybody at the table. Yeah. And I, I believe that's what Jesus will have us to do is to make room for everybody at the table. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about black women in HIV. Um, what have you seen any kind of, um, have you seen that HIV has impacted black women? Without a doubt. When we look at black women, uh, women of color, uh, we unfortunately are uh, one of the fastest growing populations where newly diagnosed cases of HIV are being diagnosed. And that's very concerning. Uh, about 20% of women account for the new cases. But out of that, Black women account for about 58% of the cases. Um, That's alarming to me. Um, And so we're already talking about women who have been discriminated against because of their color of their skin, but now we're adding on the stigma of HIV on top of it. So how much further can those women be at risk of being disenfranchised, uh, being... uh, cast down, uh, disadvantaged because of those factors. So when I think of uh, black women and HIV, um, it's a great concern for me. What about you? Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I think for women, HIV, AIDS, and our, and our black, especially women of color, you know, we often have this this stigma of black women are just strong, right? We have this whole shoot you know, we just are strong women and those things shouldn't happen or don't happen. And so when it does, the, the I think the charge for the faith community is providing a space where she can come and not be strong. And it's okay. It It has to be a space, and I'm speaking from the faith lens here, it has to be a space where black women can come and get strength. Right. I, I believe that the church should be the place where we get strength because all of us get in a space that is dark and it's low and even lonely. Yeah. Loneliness is a thing. And when we talk about HIV, it can get lonely. 
because of the stigma. Right. Right. Because of the stigma. So my charge is to the church is let's be a sacred space, not just for us to get our praise on, mm-hmm. but a sacred space where women, black women can come and draw strength from other black women, right? yeah. from other black women, how important that is to just say, hey, sis, I'm in your corner. You You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to be by yourself. We and, and I think when we band together, it's so much it's so much power and unity in that. And so from the faith lens, I, I just see that the faith community should be a sacred space where black women can come and get fueled and and be in a space where we can provide hope for the entire community because we know HIV AIDS, if she is a mother, it's affecting the children. If she is a wife, it's affecting the husband. If she has a significant partner, it's affecting the partner. And so we have to be in a space where we're open to all of that, to everybody involved. If she's a daughter, you know, so we have to be open to that. Some of the, the, you know, main reasons why women, black women in particular, are vulnerable to HIV is because we're in domestic violence situations. We're experiencing, you know, um, sexual assault and, and then being shamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, our bodies are being shamed. Our young girls are being sexualized at young ages. We're, we're even entering puberty at younger ages now, right? And so how do we address those things that then are tied to this vulnerability to HIV? Go ahead. Well, I think it's important to uh, let um, young girls know that they have a voice. And I think that because we are at such great risk of things happening um, to us, it's because we're teaching young girls, um, you know, sh- be quiet, stay this way. Um, you know, that's not ladylike or, you know, and it teaches them almost that they shouldn't have a voice, um, that it's not okay for them to oppose someone if they do something that makes them uncomfortable or makes them feel a certain way. And I think that we need to realize that we need to start instilling them at a young age that you can have a voice. Um, You can uh, be vulnerable, um, that you can um, share with other women and and talk with other women. And I think that when they get built up like that and get encouraged, um, that it teaches them to be an advocate for themselves. And I think that that will kind of lessen some of what we see going on such as domestic violence situations, to encourage women that um, you can stand alone, you can get out of this situation, you can talk to one, you you can reach out for help, that you don't have to be an island, you don't have to keep it to yourself, uh, that kind of thing. And I think that, um, to me, teaching um, that they can talk about it, that they can have a voice, and, and they can share it and not be ashamed um, is a great start. I have a follow-up and then we'll go back to you. As a pediatric doctor, do you have conversations with the parents about these things? Like how do you, or or even directly with the pediatric patient about their bodies and sexuality? Absolutely. Yeah, we start that conversation. Usually um, we introduce that conversation because as you mentioned, girls are ha- having puberty earlier and earlier. Um, as young as nine years old, especially again in our community of color, puberty occurs earlier, our body development occurs earlier. 
And so those conversations need to start earlier. So I start the conversation typically with the patient as well as the parent. And then we have a conversation with just the, you know, the child to let them know, you know, this is a safe space. This is just between us. What are your concerns? What are some of your experiences? Because a lot of the children are having experiences that we never would have imagined that they're being exposed to. Mm -hmm. But until we open up that conversation and give them the opportunity to talk, we don't have opportunity to intervene and to let them know that they can, you know, talk to a healthcare professional or their parent, parent, a faith leader, you know, whoever they come in contact, who's an adult of authority that can assist them. And so I think it's really important to start that conversation early and then to encourage parents to do it, move it then from that space of the office setting to, you know, start it at home as well. What advice would you give as a faith leader to parents uh, to talk on how to talk to their children about their bodies and sexuality? So this is really right up my alley. Um, Before I became pastor, site pastor, I was actually a youth pastor for 13 years. So I worked with youth, young adults, children. I did it all um, at Union Baptist Church. And one of the things that I've always been a strong advocate for, especially with young girls, um, is to ask, make sure parents know that children can ask questions. Allow your church or your, your home to be a safe place where children can ask the question. So I often say it's okay to be to for kids to ask questions and there's a difference between asking a question and and being questioned, right? So I always make that sort of distinction there. But I do believe that parents um to to grow a healthy young girl is to have them be able to say I can go to my mom and ask her about what's happening or be open to that. And, and, and I tell the parents, if you don't have the answer, mm-hmm. then call me, call me. And, because I much rather give them um, sound and balanced, informed information than them to get it from peers right. that can lead them into other places that at the end of the day, we got to go back and get them and we got to start all over again, right? <laughs> I've been there, done that, can write a book. Yeah. And that's how I am writing a book on it. <laughs> so, but anyways, but um, I do believe that if we provide young girls a space to ask the questions about their bodies, to ask the question about sex, mm-hmm. to ask the questions. And when we talk about sex, we talk about sexuality to ask those questions and to not just tell them, but to listen, right? Right. Because a part of the issue is we do too much talking sometimes Mm -hmm. and we don't actually sit and listen to what they have to say. And and I like Dr. Ball, what she said, and stop shushing shushing them, tell them to be quiet because it actually puts them in a space of submission, right? Where I, I don't have a voice. Or if something is happening to me, I got to shh, yes. all right? Or if something is bothering me, I got to shh. And so then we create, we create this young girl to be a grown adult, an adult who is quiet about what they're feeling, quiet about their diagnosis, and then they suffer in silence. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And so it's just, it's, it's a cycle. So if we can start it early. And, you know, I have two nieces. Oh, actually, I have four nieces, but I have a set of twin nieces. And um, and let me tell you, they are the most vocal little girls you're going to ever meet. And I make sure that their voices are heard. My 12-year-old niece, she's a lot quieter than, the, than her twin sisters. But I tell her, speak your voice. Yeah. Say it what it is. Don't, don't. We can filter out all the other stuff. Just say what it is. When it comes to my my niece that's in her 20s, she just graduated from law school. Tell us that she got a voice. I'm telling you, that young girl got a voice. But say what you mean. Mean what you say and don't be ashamed. And if there's something that you're feeling, it's something that you're unsure about, just know you can always come here. And I always wanted to be the um, image of the church for for my family that they say this is a safe place, a safe place I can go and be heard. Yeah. And be heard. I wish I had had that and advice when I I'm the cool auntie now. I'm the cool auntie, yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna wrap up this conversation. So soon. So soon. It could be longer. Yeah. Uh, but I want to give people the opportunity to find you online or in person. How do they find you? Um, you can find me at Union Baptist, um, Union Baptist Winston-Salem online, um, or Union Baptist uh, JTHP, which is our site church in High Point. I'm also on all social media platforms, I'm Dr. Kia Hood Scott. Um, also, you can find me on all our social media platforms um, for Union Baptist Church. And you can find uh, me at our organizational website, which is www.onsms.org. And from there, you'll be able to find my personal information, which will be www.oncallmobilemedical.com and on social media sites as Dr. Ball On Call. Thank you. And until next time, we're going to keep doing the work, Faith Against Stigma. Y'all have a good evening. Thank <laughs> you.